right, here's the question for a brand new series. Get your Bible ready and let me ask you, are you ready to study God's Word today? Okay, so go ahead and get your Bible ready. We're in Romans chapter 8 today. Romans chapter 8, you can use your digital device as well if that's what works for you. Romans chapter 8. Today we start a brand new series. And is there anything I can do to fix this? Do I need to check the connection? Because I am going to need this today. Do I? What do I need to do? You'll get it sorted. Okay. Okay. It would be very helpful. Uh, and so what we are starting today is this brand new series where we're going to be studying the life of Moses in the Old Testament. Now, before we get into that, and we're going to learn lots about Moses in the next month that you're not going to want to miss, but to lay the foundation for that, today we are going to start in the New Testament to learn some things that will help us get ready to study the life of Moses. And that's what we find here in Romans chapter 8. That for anyone who is going to press forward into the dreams that God has for your life, what we need is an indispensable quality that everybody needs, and it's this. It's called, oh, yay! Yay! Everybody thank Mark! Yay! The indispensable quality is what? Oh my goodness, it's so handy to have that screen, isn't it? I think this is a great definition of the word hope. Uh, I came up with the definition, so if you don't like it, I understand. But hope, I think, is the confident belief that no matter what I am going through today, things are going to get better. And, and as Christians, we have a foundation for our hope. We have a reason. There is a source for our hope, and it is in fact a person. It goes something like this, fill in the blank. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And so here in Romans chapter 8, we're going to see seven different things that our hope in Christ does for us. And so let's get started in verse 1 to lay the, the context for the whole chapter, all 39 verses. Romans 8 verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ. I want to remind you of something real quickly. If you don't respond, I think you're not getting it and I keep talking longer. <laughs> so if you want to get out in time for lunch, everybody help me out, okay? Here we go. Okay, so therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That phrase, those two words, in Christ, those are Paul, the author of Romans, Paul's favorite words for a Christian. In the Bible, the word Christian does not show up all that often. But these words, in Christ, to describe a Christian, in Christ shows up more than 93 times in the New Testament. And for those who are in Christ, God has made available to us a very special kind of lifestyle if we will grab hold of it. And so hang on to your seat because in the next little bit, we are going to zip through all 39 verses of Romans 8. We're going to do something today that they teach you not to do in seminary. They say if you're going to have a message, have only one point, you know, a really good one. 
Well, I think we have seven really good ones because we're going to, instead of try to break down one verse, we are going to try to break down the entirety of Romans chapter 8 and see what I think are the seven high points. So really, you're going to get seven sermons in one all in 30 minutes. I say that's getting your money's worth, okay? And so uh, hopefully there will be something for everybody today in Romans 8. Number one, we see that in Christ... I am no longer condemned. We already read it in verse 1 where Paul says, I am, I am no longer condemned because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said in John 3, 17, I did not come to condemn the world. He said, I came to save the world. Condemnation is just to make you feel bad. Now, Jesus does bring conviction into our lives so that we will come to him and receive forgiveness and have our lives turned around. But condemnation is what the enemy does to try to make you shameful and make you think that things are never going to get better in your life. I remember the first time that I ever went to Israel. It was in 1997, and Tracy came with me on that trip. And when we went to Israel that year, she was eight months pregnant with our first child. You heard me right, eight months pregnant. She had a lot more faith than I did. There were five uh, doctors in her practice there, that she was uh, going to, the OBGYN practice, and I made all five of them sign off on the trip before she could come. And, uh, and so our first child, Kate, was almost born in Jerusalem. We, in our suitcases, packed little baby outfits just in case. And so, uh, in fact, if you would like to experience that, we are planning right now a trip for March 2020. Put that on your calendar with Dr. Steve Lennox and, uh, and I. We will be co-hosting Dr. Lennox and I, who is an amazing Old Testament Bible scholar. And I've, we've been to Israel together before. And so we've been talking about doing this joint trip together again. And uh, that's in March of 2020. But there is one place in Israel, as much as I love taking people there to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and experience thousands of years of biblical history, there is one place in Israel that I do not like. It is in Jerusalem, and it is called the Church of the Flagellation. That's with a G, not a T. Church of the Flagellation. What that means is that word has to do with the flogging of Jesus. It's, it's the place where they beat Jesus with whips. And so they built a church there to commemorate it. But folks, the church of the flagellation is not just a place in Jerusalem. There are a lot of churches like that. A lot of churches where, where week after week they beat up on you and, and you don't feel like you've been to church unless you've been hollered at. Oh, pastor, that was such a good sermon. It made me feel so bad. You know, that is, that is spiritual masochism when you feel like you haven't been to church unless you've been run over by a bulldozer. 
But Jesus did not come to condemn you. Jesus came to save you and give you a fresh start and a new beginning and hope for your future. That you're not just to feel bad so that you'll just feel bad. It's so that you'll come to Christ and receive his forgiveness and a brand new start in Jesus. Folks, that is enough right there. We could just close our Bibles and go home. Because... But we're not, because there's more. Romans chapter 8, looks, look at number 2. In Christ, I am no longer controlled by sin. Let's pick up where we left off in verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, what? It set me free from the law of sin and death. Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of sin. Now, that does not mean that we will never face temptation. And it doesn't mean that we won't still have some of those personality tra traits where we are maybe prone towards certain bad habits. But here's what it does mean. The point is, you no longer have to be controlled by those things. Maybe what has controlled you has been bitterness and an unforgiving spirit. Maybe you have been controlled by the need for alcohol or tobacco, or maybe it's, it's food, maybe it's your schedule, maybe it's buying more and more stuff, maybe it's a secret that nobody else knows about, maybe it's pornography or sexual stuff. Let me ask you, what has control over your life right now? What, what has you in bondage today? Now, you might say, I'm not sure. Well, guess what? I can tell you what it is. I'm, I'm going to tell you a little secret. I can tell you right now what has control over your life. And here it is. Whatever you think about most, whatever you worry about most, whatever consumes your thoughts, because look at what it says as we continue here in Romans 8, we come to verse 5, which is those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And so, so what that means is, the question is, what do you have your mind set on each day? What consumes your thoughts? What are you worried about? What, what do you think about most? See, the fact is, everybody is controlled by something. You are owned either by God or you are owned by this world. You may not realize it, but you are owned by someone or something. You are either owned by God or you are owned by this world. And listen, the only way to find freedom and joy in our lives is to surrender more of ourselves to the ownership of God. No longer me, but Christ who lives in me. And the more I surrender to God, the more freedom and joy I will experience. And the more I will break free from the chains of this world. When instead of having my mind set on the things of this world, I set my mind on the things 
of God's spirit. Next, number three, in Christ, my hope is secure. Let's skip over to the next section in this passage, picking up in verse 18. It says, I consider that our, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul is saying, yes, my life might be a mess right now, but God has something better for my tomorrow. Yes, I'm having trouble times right now. Yes, things may not seem like, like everything is perfect right now. Yes, I might be going through temporary struggles right now, but I know that Jesus has won the victory and the end of my story has already been written. And look down at the next few verses, and you see two things in particular that give us hope. First of all, in Romans 28, 23, it says, We wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Let me explain that to you. The redemption of our bodies, that's talking about heaven. That when you, when you get to heaven, you get to trade in this worn out, broken down old body for a brand new model. That's good news. Somebody say amen. That means no more aches and pains. No more pimps and zits, no, pimples, pimples, not pimps, pimps, that's a whole other thing. No more, no, no, no more body odor, no more tongue slips. No, you know what? In heaven, I'm going to have hair. No more dieting. Chocolate cake for breakfast in heaven. Amen. Woo. Oh, I don't know if that's biblical, but I think it is. I think it's good. And then verse 26 says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And so not only do we have a future hope for heaven, but we also have a present hope for now. That the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't have to do it on our own. Next, number four, in Christ, purpose can be found in problems. In other words, God never makes any mistakes, and even the mistakes that you make and the problems that you face, God can weave them into his better plan for your life. Look at what it says here in Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That is a powerful promise. But I think it's very important to notice what this verse does not say. Notice that it does not say that all things that happen in your life are good. There are a lot of bad things in this world. And it does not say that things will, will always turn out the way that we hope that they will. But look at what it does say. It says, and we know, and we know, that we know, that we have confidence that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And so what does all things include? Does that include the, the loss of your job? Does that include sickness and disease? Does that include relationship problems? Does that include a miscarriage? The death of a loved one? Financial issues? Yes, all things. But remember, remember, 
it does not say that all those things are good. And it does not say that those things have come from God. But it does say that when, when the world brings those bad things against us, God has this amazing ability to judo flip them. Okay, uh, Pastor Drew is a judo, like, black belt from New Zealand, our student ministries pastor. And judo, they take the weight of your enemy and use it against them to flip them, right? I, I think, at least, I think that's, I didn't look it up on Wikipedia this morning, but I, I think that's how judo works. And that God has this amazing ability to, to take even that which the world means for harm and use it for our good. There's this great example in Matthew chapter 1 where we find the genealogy of Jesus. Now, you know that in the Middle East, when you have the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, where it goes from Abraham all the way down to his mother Mary, and that, that in, in ancient genealogies, they did not track it by the mother. It was only the men who showed up in the genealogy from generation to generation. And yet in the, the story of Jesus, in the genealogy found in Matthew chapter 1, there are four women listed. That is really odd. So what do we know about those four women? Well, they are, first of all, Tamar. Tamar had sex with her father-in-law and bore a child. Rahab, who was a prostitute. Ruth, a Moabite foreigner, who married a Jew illegally, and Bathsheba, who committed adultery with King David. The point is, God can take even your problems and beautifully weave them into his plan for your life. And those four women who had terrible things happen in their lives, God used them, even in spite of their weaknesses and their difficult backgrounds, that he did something beautiful in their lives and used them to become part of the line of Jesus, the Son of God, being brought into this world. And isn't that good news to know that even when things turn bad, God can use it for our good. Number five, number five, in Christ, I have nothing to fear. Verse 31, ask, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen, it doesn't matter who is against you when you know that God is for you. It doesn't, let me say that again. It doesn't matter who is against you when you know that God is for you. Fear is a devastating emotion. Psychologists say that they have analyzed over 645 fears. I promised uh, somebody this morning that I was going to use a little uh, Jerry Seinfeld joke where he, he was studying some, uh, some sociologists and research studies and, they, and found that in America, the number one fear of most Americans, many Americans, is uh, public speaking, my job, getting up and, and, uh, and speaking in front of a crowd. Number two on the list, death. Now, that's messed up right there. <laughs> I mean, think about that. That means that at, the, at many funerals, people would rather be in the casket than have to get up and deliver the eulogy. <laughs> that is seriously disturbing. And so maybe you're afraid of what is going to happen tomorrow. Maybe you're afraid of what's going to happen at work. Maybe you're afraid of what's going to happen with your kids. Maybe you know that there's somebody you need to talk with about Jesus, someone you need to invite 
to church, but you are afraid. Here in Romans 8, verse 37, it says, No, in all these things we are more than, we are more than conquerors. In fact, literally, the Greek word here is like super conquerors. It's like a hero with an S on the chest. You are more than a super conqueror through him who has loved us. Listen, in this life, you will either be a victim or a victor. And we live in a world filled with victims. But when you are in Christ, you don't have to live that way. That in Christ, if you will choose him, he will give you the victory. Look at this next. Number six, in Christ, God will meet all my needs. We kind of skipped around a little bit. And I want to go back to verse 32 really quickly. Romans 8 verse 32 says, God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with the son, graciously give us all things? Now, even when you read this verse in context, the grammar in English is a little hard to understand. But basically, here's what this is saying. That when Jesus, the son of the father, died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, in dying on the cross, Jesus already took care of the biggest problem in your life. Everything else is minor in comparison to that. And so think about it. If God loved you enough to send his own son to die for you, don't you think he also loves you enough to make sure there's food on the table? If, if God loved you enough to send his own son to die for you, don't you think he also loves you enough to help you with that problem with your parents? Philippians 4.19 says, God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It might be emotional, it may be social, it may be financial, it may be spiritual, it may be physical. And maybe you're here today and you say, but I have a, a need that God has not met. If so, I, I, I want to ask you three questions, first of all. First of all, are you really in Christ? In other words, are you really putting him first in your life? Are you trusting him to meet your needs or are you trying to do things your own way? Trying to do things the world's way. One of the areas, again, that this so often comes into play is financial. And I just received an email testimony from one of our people here at the church. This is somebody who's been in a leadership position here in the church for years. But they wanted to share this testimony with me, and they sent me this email. And I just thought of it last night as I was going to bed. And so I came into the office this morning and printed it out. And I just want to read a little bit of it to you. This person here at our church said, In January of 1986, I felt convicted in my heart to start tithing 10% for the first time in my life. And so that first Sunday of January, I prepared my tithe check and put it in the plate that week, and I have not stopped tithing since. It seems simple, because anybody can do it, but our excuses are many, and I had many reasons myself. He said it was the week before Christmas in 1985, and the pastor of the church invited me into his office. And the church gave me a Christmas box of food for myself and the kids because the church was helping the people who were most needy 
that Christmas. I was separated from my wife. I had two very young children, ages three and one. I was unemployed. My house had little furniture. It was for sale. My credit cards were racked up, and I had to borrow money from my brother to help make the house payments. I had a health issue and needed an operation. So I was not in the best position, to say the least, to start tithing. In fact, most people would say it was the worst time, and I should have not started. But that did not stop me from planning that conviction. God planted that conviction in my heart, and it did not stop me from putting that tithe in that offering plate that Sunday. So the day came, and I had my doubts and fears, but I followed my conviction. And when the offering plate came by that day in January 1986, I put it in. As the offering plate moved past me with my check in it, it seemed like it was going in slow motion as it went down the row to the other folks in the seats beside me. But there it was, gone. And I felt mixed emotions, glad spiritually that I had done it, but humanly worried because now I cannot survive. That very week after I tithed for the first time, I checked my mailbox and to my surprise, I found a check in there that I was not expecting. It was a refund check from an insurance company that I had no idea when I opened the envelope I was even supposed to get a refund. I grabbed my two little children and danced around my almost empty house. I was dancing for joy and the kids had no idea why daddy was so happy, but it didn't matter to them. They knew daddy was happy and they danced for joy with me that day. So each week I continued to give the first 10% to God. Three weeks after putting in my first tithe, I got a full-time position as a shipper and receiver in a warehouse. Three months after that, they made me the company sales manager, even though I only had a GED uh, diploma, but God was with me. Ten months after that, I went out on my own and under the leadership of God started my own company with only a $450 to my name. Fifteen months after that, I finished my first fiscal year in my new company and I generated sales of $684,000 that first year. And the story just continues over the decades of how God continued to bless as God was put first in this person's life. Number two, the second question is, is it really a need? We have many needs in our Western culture that the rest of the world would call extravagances. Number three, is God saying, not yet? Maybe you need to trust his timing. Sometimes when we pray, God's answer is, you need to just trust me and wait. It's not time yet. Stay faithful. Trust in God's timing. And remember the last one, number seven, in Christ, nothing can separate me from God. Verse 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I mean, he's covering all the bases here, right? And just to make sure we get it, look down at verse 38 and verse 39, and let's read this out loud together as a confident declaration. Here we go, out loud together. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that good news? But notice there is one condition here. He covers every outside source. Nothing can separate us. No spiritual reality, no physical reality, nothing in heaven or earth or under the earth, nothing spiritual or physical, neither height nor depth, nothing can separate you from God. But you. You're not in that verse. You can separate you from God. The choice is yours. That if you will choose him, he has made the way through Jesus Christ our Lord available to anyone who will choose to receive him and put him first, making him the Lord of your life. And so that's our challenge to begin this series, Dream Big. Before we look at the, the, the uh, life of Moses, to lay the foundation this month, I want you to spend some time this week in Romans chapter 8. And will you go back through all 39 verses of Romans 8 and read through and see all these things again and allow God to speak to you. Meditate upon and put into practice the things that you read. Maybe today you're struggling with shame and condemnation. But know that Jesus can set you free from that. You no longer have to be controlled by your sin, your habits, your hang-ups. Jesus is the bondage breaker if you will receive him. Your hope is secure. No matter what you're going through today, God has a better future for you. And you may not see the end of the story on this side of eternity, but your hope is in heaven as he provides strength for you today. Purpose can be found in any of your problems, no matter what you're going through, no matter how much you have messed up your life. God specializes in taking your mess and turning it into his masterpiece. You have nothing to fear, for when God is for you, who can be against you? God will meet all my needs when I put him first, for nothing can separate me from God. Would you stand? And if you're a Christian here today, it's possible that God spoke to you through some of these things. And maybe you need to do some business with God as we sing this closing song. But there are some of you here today who maybe you have never made that decision to give your life to Jesus. If that's where you are right now, all across this room, could we just close our eyes? And would you just tell him right now, Father, I confess my sin. I confess that I have lived life my way rather than your way. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. Jesus died to take the punishment for my sin, to set me free. 
And so I receive his gift of forgiveness. Right now, tell him in your heart, say, Father, I want to be your child. I receive the forgiveness that comes from Jesus who took the punishment that I deserved. And I commit to follow you. Tell him right now, I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. No turning back. All the things of the world, I'm going to leave behind me to put Jesus first and walk in your ways. For all my hope is in you. Everything I need is in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this confident declaration of the foundation for our hope.